0: I wanted to kick off today's show with some news. If you, yes you, the listener, enjoy listening to me every Monday and think that the info and knowledge I put out there into the world is insightful, well, guess what? Times have gotten hard and now you have to pay me. I'm just kidding, kind of. Well, let me explain a little bit. In the show notes of this show and every future episode of this podcast is a link to my profile on Kofi, or Coffee. I don't even know what the hell it is. I'm just kidding. It's coffee.com. On my profile on coffee.com, there you'll have news about me, things I'm working on, one of them being this podcast. And you can sign up to toss me a few bucks on a monthly basis. Now, no pressure. I'm not forcing a gun to anybody's head. But I'm about to be a stay-at-home dad who's juggling multiple creative endeavors. And those endeavors fall flat without proper fuel. That fuel, of course, is not the stuff that's nearly $5 a gallon. At the gas pumps right now, but it's uh, the stuff you use to get that gas. I'm talking about money. So once again, if you're a fan of what I do, feel free to support me, even with just a dollar here and there every now and then. You can do that by clicking in the link on the show notes for coffee.com. Now on to today's show with my guest who is a director on multiple award-winning short horror films. His most recent film, Dead Air, screened at the Joe Bob Briggs Mutant Fest. And as genre fans know, that's kind of a big deal. That interview on the other side of the Basement theme song, that's also known as the Grindhouse double feature theme music from the 1970s and 80s. I still have not gotten a cease and desist letter about it, so I'm keeping it. Welcome to the Basement, everybody. Right, guys so on march 5th 2022 which is the time we record this been about a month ago uh buzzfeed did an article on the 28 horror short films ready to give you nightmares right now uh one of them is a film called dead air that we will talk about very shortly uh and i got the filmmaker behind that one and a few other things we're going to talk about matt sullivan welcome to the basement
1: hey tyler thanks for having me thanks
0: for coming on thanks for saying yes um Correct me if I'm wrong. I should have asked you this right before we hit recording. This always happens to me. Where are you based again? Are you in New York?
1: Yes. So I'm uh, just north of the city in Westchester County. So we have uh, wonderful proximity to city locations, but also suburban and uh, nature locations. So it's a a great place to be for a filmmaker.
0: Yeah, I completely agree. I'm from the Northeast myself. I'm not from New York. I'm, I'm from New England. But I know exactly the area you're talking about. It's nice suburbs, quiet, quaint. Um, I have a hunch Chevy Chase lives around there. I know that's kind of a random fact. But <laughs>
1: <for> that one. <laughs>
0: um, But yeah, no, it's, you know, you're like, what, like an hour outside the city or whatnot. Exactly, yeah. um, 45 minute ride outside of uh, Grand Central. Yeah, it's a, it's a beautiful area. So you are a New York filmmaker. I am like going on a hot streak with having filmmakers from the city or outside the city on this show. Uh, Just talk to me about the kind of community, community of indie film or just the community of film in general up there before we kind of get going here.
1: Yeah. I mean, you know, it's, it's when, when you're in the center of kind of the media universe, you could argue whether it's New York or LA and now some other emerging markets um, you have so much access to, both filmmakers and, uh, venues and conventions, uh, film festivals, you name it. And, um, you know, when, when you have that ease of transportation as well, that you have, whether it's subway or train, um, and of course airports, you can easily get in and out from wherever you need to be. So it's, it's been wonderful, you know, before COVID, it was great for that, but now, I think what we've seen is people can really work from anywhere. And I've connected with so many filmmakers online, even uh, whether it's on Instagram or Facebook and, you know, we connected as well uh, through social media. So it's been, I think what we've seen over the past few years because of COVID is people wanting to reach out and get almost break out of their circles, uh, meet new people, experience new things. And we can all do that from the comfort of our own home. Um, at least for the connection part. Of course, the filming is different unless you're making a film that's about Zoom and we've seen some creative uh, endeavors. So, um, you know, there's really no, as far as I see it right now, there's no excuse, at least for, this was a wonderful time for a lot of filmmakers to really plan out their projects, you know, connect with actors, connect with writers, um, connect with their production teams and really flesh out their storytelling and make sure that it's succinct.
0: I 150,000% agree. I mean, I, 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 one, it's not a film, but that's one of the reasons why I kind of started this podcast and I didn't do it during COVID. I kind of did it like, well, depends on what you think, where we are in a pandemic, (laughs) but um, I just wanted to start talking to other filmmakers and get to know them rather than being so isolated and whatnot. So yeah, there's really no excuse to kind of try and get out there in the world more, even if it's, through something like this but um to get into like you and making films and whatnot this is a this is the million dollar question even though I kind of do it at the top of the show uh, don't stress it's a very simple question I don't know why I said that <laughs> but, um, uh, like what was a what was a time Early on, whether you were a kid, I don't know how you've been doing, how long you've been doing this, but, you know, some people pick up filmmaking or storytelling as a child. Some people do it in their 20s. People do that in college. People do it at 50. But what was it, whether it was a movie or just something, what made you say, I want to do that?
1: I, I can I can easily answer this question. And it was without a doubt the first time that I pushed a VHS cassette uh, into the VCR and that cassette was the Goonies All right. watching this film, which I can still, you know, it's an annual viewing, if not more uh, every year. And I look forward to watching this with my sons. Hopefully they'll be as excited as it, uh, by it as I was. But um, there was something magical about this adventure that, that these kids went on and the fact that you could follow them from one step to the next. And it really is a treasure map of, of an adventure and seeing these pirate ships, uh, and, and, and all of the, the characters involved, I mean, it just got me excited about storytelling. It got me excited by what was possible in the movies. And uh, I know my mom always says, she tells me, you know, as soon as you watch that movie, you said, I want to do special effects in movies. Um, and the next movie that I watched after that was Young Frankenstein. And the next after that was Beetlejuice. And um, between those three films, I, I, I just grew such an appreciation of creating worlds. And um, that was really my initial interest and, and excitement behind filmmaking. Uh, and it, it allowed you to do something that, not to say you can't you certainly can do that with a book. You can certainly do that with, with other art, but um, it was it was done in a way where you know the more I, the, the more I dug into filmmaking and the more experiences I had with it, I just love the collaborative experience of creating those worlds together with with other artists and other people who are skilled um, in their various departments.
0: Yeah, definitely. I feel like uh, a film, the reason why people are like, I feel just extra passionate about it instead of one medium. Um, I just feel like because we're taking all these different art forms, we're piecing it together. We're taking music, we're taking acting, we're taking uh, art design, we're, we're just... I, just anything you can think of that goes into an art form and it's just like times it by a hundred and I think that's why every filmmaker I talk to is just so passionate about it like even if you're not passionate about doing this uh you're in the wrong profession I mean like I I'm writing short stories right now but like the back of my head I'm just like I get the chance that is definitely a good idea for a movie but I'm gonna yeah. write it as a short story right now um that's cool you bring up the Goonies cuz that is again a video store classic of mine. Yeah. I'm pretty sure every time I went to the video store I snatched that up, brought it home. Um that is one of those movies that if it's on TV or I catch it streaming somewhere, I watch it. I just put it on even if it's just yeah. a background noise. I yeah. just put it on It was definitely also kind of good gateway horror, I guess you can say. Like it's a movie for kids, but you know, it's got that Steven Spielberg horror esque where he's kind of putting some horror stuff. And I know he didn't direct it, but he, you know, he's created the story. Um, And you mentioned Beetlejuice also. I I don't think I've ever talked about Beetlejuice on this show, but I just gave it a rewatch because it's streaming somewhere right now. Um, Michael Keaton, how he holds that movie together And he's not even on screen a lot
1: Yeah, it's, it's amazing It's like Anthony Hopkins, you know, playing Hannibal Lecter He's not really yeah. in the film, but he is the film <laughs> It's like yeah. uh, how, how he carries it to your point Yeah, he is I,
0: He's one of the best actors of the last 40 years That I don't think he gets enough credit for But um, So was it always the genre? Was it always horror
1: films for you? I think it was. Um, and, And there was, again, there was something about the excitement of horror. Again, you know, you mentioned Goonies not necessarily being horror, but describing it as a gateway. And it was that gateway to a lot of horror films for me, they're in this weird sense, they are adventure. You know, it's an adventure of emotion in a sense. And what I remember most is walking into my video store, mom and pop store, star video. And uh, the first thing that I saw in that big glass display case was Nightmare on Elm Street 3, Dream Warriors. And I remember being so just like in a trance when I looked at this and how horrified I was and scared as a kid and uh, even having you know recurring nightmares as a kid about Freddy Krueger. But,, um, it was that level of excitement of, oh my God, like something could actually scare me this much. And then turning that around, oh, I could scare somebody that much. <laughs> and this is fun. And I always love playing jokes and pranks with my cousins and, and uh, my family. So it all lended, it lent itself to, um, just just a, a, a level of excitement that I didn't I didn't necessarily feel, uh, with other genres maybe a little bit in the action adventure sense but not anything else
0: yeah every horror filmmaker I talk to um, that is kind of the thing it's it's there's just so much more heightened emotion around even if it's a bad scary movie like at least there's like a good selling point with the box of the, the cover art right right Uh there's just there's a, a long list of I feel like that's a Episode I gotta do soon, just bad cover art, but oh, no, or good cover up, art, man. but bad movies. for hours
1: about that. Do <laughs> well, you have that. one
0: right now off the top of your head?
1: Uh bad cover art, not necessarily bad, but good. I mean, I, I love good. that's I think that's what I meant. Sorry. Yeah, yeah. I, I love Slaughter High is one of my favorites. It's the uh, skeleton with the graduation cap holding a cherry bomb. Um, you know, night of the creeps being my, one of my other go-to's, uh, what's the other one I can think of off the top of my head, uh, nest, which is really good. A giant cockroach eating a scantily clad woman, uh, spookies, uh, spookies. Yes. You know, an amazing, I, I, the amount of stories that I have, I actually live in about 10 minutes from the house where they shot spookies. Wow. It's now a. It's the John Jay House. Um, It's in Rye, New York, and uh, it's it's pretty cool to go back there and kind of walk through and see. Oh yeah, I I remember where they shot this.
0: Correct me if I'm wrong. Spookies has the Spider Lady, right? Yes. Yeah, that I saw that movie maybe when I was like five years old on Sci Fi Channel, middle of the day, and looking back now, like it's pretty laughable. Um, But (laughs) that scene with this like this. Chinese, Asian woman uh, just morphs into this spider queen and like sucks the life out of this guy. Gave me nightmares for months. Oh yeah. And like, I I went back and I watched it and I was like, oh my God, like this, it's funny,
1: but yeah, I could see why I would fuck up a (laughs) five-year-old. Well, there's, I mean, there's such an amazing story behind the making of that film and how uh, there were actually, um, the, the original production team was kind of kicked off of the film. They brought in this uh, utility director to go and slice everything together. And in the end, it really makes no sense. It was originally called Twisted Souls, and then it uh, turned into Spookies. But, um, you know, again, that cover art, it's like you you, you have these images. When you close your eyes, you can see it in your mind. Uh, You know, Army of Darkness with Bruce Campbell standing on top of the little pile with his chainsaw. Uh, the Lost Boys, uh, Sleepaway Camp, Critters, Fright Night, Christine, They Live, Return of the Living Dead, 1, 2, and 3. We'll throw mm-hmm. them all out there. I mean, uh, all of those, those images that you have, they drum up such emotions. And, um, you know, a lot of them promise these worlds that they don't deliver on, which is always the fun part. Yeah. Um, so as a, as a
0: director yourself now, you made three short films, which we're about to talk about in a minute. Um, what do you love about the genre and being able to direct in that kind of world?
1: I like creating the monsters. You know, that was always something that uh, I was drawn to. Even as a kid, I used to draw in, I remember in first grade, I made a book of monsters and it had Dracula and the werewolf and Frankenstein. And um, there, there was just something about these monsters and what they wanted um, but also the human factor that they all had. And there was some sort of, even though they were monsters that most of the times what they wanted was somehow could be tied back to a human connection. Um, And, and, and again, it comes back to that world that they're living in the world that you're painting. Um, A lot of it was makeup. A lot of it was costume design, um, creating characters and monsters that, Looked a certain way and made you feel a certain way. So um, that was really what I, th- I think interested me the most about the genre. Uh, one of the interesting parts about the genre.
0: Yeah. No. Definitely. Well, let's let's jump in. Let's go back to 2014. Let's go to Sobrevivo your first short film. Actually, I don't know if it's your first, first short film. But yeah, it's not, the first not my one you first
1: short, me. but it was really the, my my largest uh, film that I had done in terms of scope and scale. Yeah, yeah. Uh, 30,
0: 30 four minutes.
1: minutes. Yeah, 34 30. minutes, uh, which we ended up cutting into two, we had two different cuts for it. We had a uh, kind of a, one festival cut and then another festival cut because, you know, the problem is with, with a lot of films getting to festivals, I understand that festival programmers, they, they wanna pack the seats. And so you end up getting a lot, You know, it se- would seem to me in my experience that you have a better chance of getting in with a shorter short film than you would with a 34 minute short film. And we kind of had that feeling going in, but we said to ourselves, "Look, we, we stand behind the work, we stand behind the story, we think everything needs to be here. And we got into Shriek Fest in LA, was our first festival. And we were thrilled to be there, uh, screened with a lot of other great films and, um, you know, flew out to LA for that. Actually, uh, the screening was at Raleigh studios, which is where I used to work on castle. So that was a nice walk down memory lane. And, um, you know, it was, it was, I think it, it, it had, it was well received then, but it didn't necessarily get picked up in some of the other festivals that, um, that we had applied for. So that's when we did the 18 minute version and cut out basically the first part of the story, which I really like. And I think, you know, creates a lot of it's it, it, you understand the character, you understand their motivations. Um, with the 18 minute cut, you're really drop, You're kind of dropped into this world and it becomes Recognizable and you understand what the intentions are, but I think it's it's certainly lacking. But the eighteen minute cut did better. You know, it was it was in more festivals and um, um so that was interesting. Yeah. No, I was going to ask you where this thing go after the fact, but yeah, L.A.
0: Shriekfest. That's a it's a big deal, man. Um, but I want to go back to the beginning with it. Like, what is what was like the initial idea for it? Like, what,
1: what kicked off your creative juices with sure. creating it? <laughs> well, originally, my uh, my producing partner Dina Dina Schumacher uh, had written the script, and even before she wrote all the details or had the completed script, I think she she came to me and said, you know, I, I want to write a story about what it's what it what I would imagine. A world like this would be as a female. Uh, what are the scariest things that I could that I can imagine in this world? And uh, you know, this was before the Me Too movement and before we're seeing a lot of these, a lot of uh, diverse filmmakers and viewpoints. And that's what originally drew me to this as somebody who, obviously, you know, here I am a, a man, but you know, hearing from Dina's standpoint as a writer what it would be like for her if she was dropped into this world. And and I was just really um, interested in that story and the way that she framed it. And of course, as she was writing the pages, and I remember I was on a plane, <laughs> I was boring the plane, and she texted me, she said, check your email, you know, read this on the flight, I got it. And uh, we went from there, I was immediately sold on it. And when when the flight landed, I called her and I said, all right, what do we have to do to make, you know, to get this going? And we started a crowdfunding uh, campaign for it. We went location scouting and, um, you know, brought on a lot of, a lot of really great talent. And uh, the actors in the film were, I think, uh, I'm, I'm proud with a lot of elements of this, but really the acting is, is what I'm most proud of in this film.
0: Yeah, I agree. I think it's a well cast picture i think the villains of the movie are absolutely repulsive and disgusting (laughs) Um, so props to those guys for being absolutely awful pieces of shit yeah Um, and your lead i think kills it like i i was trying to i was trying to think of like just compare her kind of character arc performance and like a lot of other films i'd seen but nothing was really coming to mind at the time but it definitely was a i mean We should probably also specify what the plot of the movie is. So why don't you go ahead and do that? Uh,
1: Well, this is about a a couple that is, has boarded themselves up in a, a, in a warehouse. Um, And they're essentially the the main character. Conrad is the one who's going out and and getting the supplies. And he's told his wife or girlfriend uh, that you know, this is the world that she has to live in. He's going to do the hard work and be the man and she has to be at home. And, you know, she doesn't really want to accept this as, uh, you know, as the reality of her situation. But what she doesn't realize is that uh, he's actually been drugging her and he's been slipping birth control pills uh, in in her water. And, uh, you know, I guess we could look into the science of that. the <laughs> it actually works, but um, the idea being that he has done something to her that you know he's he's broken her trust, and his motivation behind that is that the the worst thing that he could imagine is bring a child into the world um, that they're living in, and um, I was always intrigued by that concept because as a new father, and I think you could relate to this, we are living in some pretty turbulent times. And uh, that's not to say that we're not happy to be fathers, but I think there is a certain weight that comes with it of bring someone into this world and knowing that this was you know, your responsibility uh, yeah. to do that and, and to carry that and make sure that it is a good world for them and it is a good world uh, that they will hopefully one day make the world a better place. So I, I was really drawn to that particular—not um, how he does it, but this concept, of course, that um, of what it means and the, the weight that it carries. Bring it, bring a child into the world.
0: Yeah, agreed on that. I'm uh, experiencing it right now as I record this with you. <laughs> no, it's literally like it—it it is kind of survival mode. Yeah. It, It's—it is just very every day you're getting knocked down a few notches but you got to keep coming back and keep trying to do your best yeah
1: um, and i may i may have forgotten to mention that they are are in a sort of post-apocalyptic zombie world that they're living in um you know so they're they're trying to remain quiet and mm-hmm. obviously not draw any attention and uh, unfortunately they do because the one time that uh uh, rachel who, who plays uh, april uh goes to the window and she's she's sitting with a, a lighter that she's flicking and she draws attention and that the whole thing goes to hell after that uh one one bad occurrence after the next
0: mm-hmm. so this felt like a good blend of drama and horror and i i feel like i hope i word this correctly like uh Good drama can also make good horror, vice versa kind of thing. Like, what's your take on kind of implementing the two? Because in a lot of, and I'm just referencing like Romero films, like the, the, the living dead movies, like the zombies to me in those are like the least scariest thing about it. That's a personal opinion. Yeah what actually scares me more is people being awful to each other. And I feel like you captured that really well and it made for great drama. So just talk to me about the dynamic of those two genres, basically.
1: Yeah. I mean, I, I think one lends itself to the next. I mean, you can have certain, I think there are sub genres of horror where you could have gross out horror slapstick horror or, you know, drama horror. Um, But what I'm usually, I think most drawn to um, would be, A horror film that is using real life, you know, as as the horror, and 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 that's that's when it really hits. And you, as you would mentioned, you the scariest people in this are not the zombies; they're the the humans, and they're the people who um, do what they do to April. I won't I won't have any spoilers here, but um, people can certainly go and watch the film. Um, You know, you, you have to you have to learn. You have to ground the film in in some sort of reality, I think, to in order for it to um, be be impactful. And so that's what we tried to do was make it not this far fetched. And I think that's a lot of the times what I what I struggle with, especially in in sci fi, is that we these things may exist in worlds that just aren't necessarily attainable. They're not. Um, they're not grounded in real life. So, um, we tried to do as much of that as the framework, you know, it's a, it's a drama with horror elements is how I would describe it.
0: And I believe in
1: English, the title means I survived. Correct. So, uh, we started off originally casting, um, a Latina actress for this. And unfortunately, um, things did not work out and we had to recast. So we ended up with, with Rachel who, you know, I wouldn't change that for the world. I think her performance and working with her was just an incredible experience. And and she brings so much to the picture. Um, But, you know, (laughs) we liked the title. We liked I survived because it is, it is a struggle for her up until the, the very end and uh, that's, that is the, the, the backstory there. Yeah, no,
0: I, I dig it. I dig it. let's jump to the
1: other short film that I dug, which is
0: kind of felt like a little, I don't want to say opposite, but the attic felt very, uh, it felt like it was gonna, I don't know. It, it felt very like comedy at first, little kind of like with yeah. a babysitter and whatnot. And some kid who's scared of something in the attic. It's a little bit of a simple presence, but has a hell of a, Gives it some good jump scares at the end. So, just talk to me about the attic and how that came together.
1: Yeah, the attic was. uh, I mean, it was was a little bit of a kind of a side. It started off as a side project. I was, uh, (laughs) I, I was in that attic. (laughs) (laughs) It Just came. I thought to myself, God, wouldn't it be terrifying if there was something living in this attic that I didn't know about until it was too late? And uh, that's what originally. Uh, you know, how the original concept came about and the Mr. Spikes, who's the the villain in the film actually has uh, an interesting resemblance to the character that's in popcorn, which I hadn't seen at that point. You're right. and, And I remember, and it was funny because I, somebody said to me, oh, have you ever seen popcorn after they had seen the attic. and I said, no, I got to check this out. And they were, they were very, very similar. Now that's not to say that at some point in my life, maybe when I was a kid, I had seen, you know, mm-hmm. uh, a commercial or a trailer or something and, and they revealed that villain and that just carved out a place in my brain then it popped out later on. So um, I'm, I'm interested to know if that, if that's how it played out, but um you know, Amanda Durante, who has been pretty much in every film that I've done, uh, a dear friend of mine, a talented actress, talented model, um, and a great o- overall, just a great human being. Um, she brings a lot of fun to the role and is playful with uh, Nick Orcheny, who plays the boy. And uh, it was, you know, it was it was kind of a just a fun thing to make. It's a short film. It's yeah, seven yeah. minutes. And I think, to be honest, if I if I really think about it, Tyler, um, it may have been just a response to that 34 minute, uh, you know, version of Sobera Vivo, where I just said, you know, let me let me get something out there that's quick, that has a little, it has a punch to it, which is the reveal of the villain or the monster, and uh, and, and and let's have some good old fun. Yeah, it, it it felt like that. It felt like a fun,
0: scary movie. It felt like you were just like, eh, I got these things in play. Let's go make this yeah. little quick thing. Yeah. Um, it, it's funny you mentioned, like, you feel like in the back of your head, you probably remember seeing a monster like Mr. Spikes when you were a kid, maybe somewhere. Because I thought the, the way you shot it and the way it built up to the reveal of, spoiler alert, Mr. Spikes in the attic um something about it felt like some like creepy little maybe young adult or like kids kinder trauma thing on like a commercial I saw when I was a kid in the 90s right and I I thought I thought the makeup job on Mr. Spikes reminded me of Frankenstein actually too like there was just something about like I know I'm not like the Boris Karloff Frankenstein but other iterations of that character or Frankenstein's monster I should say I don't want to piss off, diehard horror fans!
1: You're supposed to
0: know that, <laughs> um, but just kind of offbeat. Like here, did you? Uh, did you guys? Did you always have like a fear of monsters in the attic or creatures under the bed? Because this is basically kind of that story.
1: I had a two of two dreams that I will always remember uh, for the rest of my life, and uh, you know, you can you can send this to my psychiatrist and have her <laughs> <laughs> break this down. But I remember there was uh, a dream I had about a man and I hear a loud bang and then all of a sudden footsteps coming up the stairs. We used to live uh, with my grandmother on the second floor of her house and I would hear these really loud footsteps and screaming and all of a sudden a man on fire would burst into the room and run out the window. Pretty intense. Yeah, man. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, that was one dream. And the other dream was about walking into my parents' room and they had this kind of uh, couch love seat set up in their room. And I'm walking into their room. There's fog everywhere. And all of a sudden these like ghoulish hands come out from under the couch and grab me and pull me under. Um, As you can see, I've always had horror on my mind. Um, And those have, I don't know. Maybe there was some feeling from those dreams that uh, I've always tried to emulate in my in my films.
0: Um, I got a level with you there. That's I mean I have yet to actually I've been writing horror, but I haven't gotten the director's chair. But uh, just to swap some nightmare stories real quick. But probably one of the most standout dreams I ever had when I was a kid, and this is kind of funny. But um, my dad, to this day, I think in his office in the basement, the actual basement, um, he had a poster of uh, Gorbachev, the Russian leader. from, the, from the <laughs> 80s. And it, it's like kind of one of those traditional, like it looks like a painting, but it's a photo of him and he's not smiling or anything. And it says under it, don't worry, be happy. But I think it's like says it in like a Russian kind of like, don't worry, be hapsky. I don't know. Um, no offense, any Russian listeners. Um, uh, and I, it creeped me out. It creeped me out to this day. It it still kind of like makes me look over my shoulder when I go home and visit.
1: Gorbachev has that effect. Uh,
0: Yeah. (laughs) And so one night I had this dream and I want to say, I, was like, I, I think I can remember the day it was a Saturday night. Cause the next day it was a Sunday and we'd go see my great grandmother up in Vermont for the day. And I remember asking my dad about it. Like, you know, Gorbachev's not going to get me right. <laughs> like on the ride home, like I don't <laughs> want to go to a bed tonight. <laughs> Gorbachev's going to get me. And, but that dream was like, didn't make sense at all. It was just pretty basic. Like I fell asleep on the couch in the basement and I got up, I was like, Oh, I got to go to bed. And I go around the bend to the stairs, and as I'm going upstairs, I take a look back, and Gorbachev jumps out of his damn picture and chases my ass upstairs, but doesn't like try to kill me or like, he just like pushes me off the stairs, and I fell off the side of the stairwell, <laughs> and that was it. He left, and that fucked me up, man. Like, <laughs> <laughs> and like I that's you, what, I think you
1: have your next uh, or maybe your first film
0: there, Tyler. Uh, it'll be it'll be the next like little quick short that's just. I don't know, maybe I'll pitch it to Adult Swim or something because it makes no goddamn sense. But uh, yeah, like that's like one of two or three dreams that I just remember clear as day and messed me up. So what I'm getting at is when I see like paintings of people looking at you, like you go to an art museum, it just kind of, I don't know, makes me think something's going to
1: happen. You don't want Gorbachev's ghost coming back for you. (laughs)
0: Like the Mona Lisa creeps me out kind of just, yeah, it just... Because, like, wherever you walk in the room, her eyes are following you. It's yeah. just, anyway, let's move on. Um, let's move on to, uh, I believe, the more recent short film uh, you had me watch of yours, which I thought was like a fun kind of rock and roll, like, felt like a little homage to, like, kind of 80s, maybe yeah. early 90s kind of vibe of horror. And I also just want to say, I love like horror films where the setting is like, someone working late at night or like at a radio station or something or like like i think of like adrian barbeau in the fog doing yep. the um at the lighthouse the radio show yep. and uh dead air it was a really fun like like 20 minute little short i thought um how'd this how this idea come to you i feel like there's a lot of yep. different cool things in it how that'd come to you
1: sure thanks a lot um We basically, I, I, a good friend of mine, Chris Lavinia, we were talking about always shooting something at a radio station. We said we, we just had been toying with this idea, this concept of we need to do something involving a radio station and a ghost that haunts the radio station, because we liked that. I think to what you said, similar to what you said, this idea of somebody kind of being alone and they're up at night and no one else really is, Mm -hmm. um, and of course, setting it on Halloween night. And uh, one thing led to the next. And I think we came up with with you know with this concept of a radio station DJ who's spinning records on, on Halloween night and uh, telling some ghost stories and finds a record, a mysterious record appears. He puts it on and of course, uh, summons the ghost of, of Rockin' Roxanne, who was uh, the girlfriend of the station owner, Eddie Stone. Uh, who died under mysterious circumstances. And as we find out was uh, killed by stone himself and is back from the dead to seek her revenge. Um, but, you know, it was really, uh, I think an ode to, as you'd mentioned, a lot of the horror films that, that I was inspired by uh, mostly Carpenter. Um, you know, we, and, and it's a lot of, there's a lot of giallo in there too with the, with yeah, the lights yeah. and the crazy lighting that we have. Um, but we wanted to make this feel as much as we could like a throwback and, and an homage to the films that we grew up watching and loving. Uh, you have some classic scenes in there, like the drive-in, which you know, after COVID has been brought back and people, you know, it's I'm so happy, happy to- too. Yeah, the, you know, I love people have been exposed now to this world that before COVID, they didn't probably didn't even know existed or thought, oh, there are still drive-ins around. Um, one drive-in in particular that I want to give a shout out to is the Mahoning drive-in in, uh, Leh- Lehight in Pennsylvania. They do an amazing job, Virgil and, and Mark and his team, um, mostly led by volunteers, uh, who go out there and it's just an impassioned community of filmmakers who, uh, you, you, know, year after year, just, uh, make movie dreams happen. And, um, it's a bucket I, I, list
0: place for me. Oh. I've
1: always, I follow them on Instagram. I've, I've actually
0: thought about reaching out to maybe getting them on the show, but yeah. Um, yeah.
1: Well, yeah. they're, they're, they're wonderful. There's a documentary that was made about that, that, about the drive-in mm-hmm. called at the drive-in and um, Monelli films. You can check that out. It's, it's a place that's stuck in time. And I think it brings you back to the magic of, watching movies, you know, and being a kid again. Uh, it's actually the one thing that I, 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 one of the many things that I look forward to with my kids is hopefully bringing them there and and having them share in that experience. But, um, you know, getting back to the, to the film, um, we wanted to incorporate as many of those set pieces as we could. We had the drive-in, we had the classic cars, we had the radio station, uh, we had this, this kind of creepy garage that was, uh, poor magenta light poured into and Kev the creep with that whole scene, which is a little wild. I mean, the whole film is just very tongue in cheek. And uh, I think um, also pays good homage to evil dead and and that series.
0: Yeah. Like you mentioned like bringing these three different elements, uh, like late night radio horror, which by the way, I think why I identify with people working late at night is because I used to have an overnight job in, okay. um, I used to work at a local TV station in the Master Control Center and I had midnight to 8 a.m. shift. And I just I it's you and like another person on the opposite side of the building. Yep. And there is kind of this fear of I don't know something because somebody shows up, you know, drunk outside or you don't know who's walking around at night. And I don't know. I just feel like that's why I kind of flock to movies like that. Um, so this uh this just feels like a lot of cool different like sub genres for horror films. I think that's why something like you, you had mentioned to me off mics, this had played Joe Bob Briggs's mutant fest. Uh, yeah.
1: That's a big deal. My friend, uh, just super talk excited. to me about that. Sure. Yeah. So, so Joe Bob, you know, uh, God bless him. He is such a, a, a an icon, you know, of, of our industry and kind of the sub genre, um, he put this festival together and it, it showed again at, at the Mahoning drive-in so they had uh, about 10 different short films and then they were doing um uh they did various uh sh- screenings during the day and then uh some feature-length films as well that they that they showed but to have our film screen on a you know at a drive-in yeah, dude. Joe Bob doing this and, and Darcy who was there and the whole team. This was like a dream come true. I mean, it really felt like a full circle moment for me as, as a human because uh, I grew up going to a drive-in actually in Pennsylvania. And I remember watching late at night, I would kind of creep out of my room and turn on USA up all night or TNT and watch yes. Joe Bob. And, and, uh, you know there was this connection that I had between watching him at night, you know, the drive-in, Pennsylvania, and here we are screening in his festival at a drive-in theater in Pennsylvania. It was just a, a surreal moment, and and talking to him, you know, was always wonderful. Uh, Darcy and I, it's funny enough, we we used to be next door neighbors in LA, so we got to catch up a little, <laughs> and uh, you know, she's wonderful as well. That's awesome. That's got to sound like
0: a dream come true right there. Yeah. He's, he's great. I love how shutter has brought him back and he's every now and then one for like what a six week stretch or something. He's on shutter um, with his show. It's crazy about him. I've never met him personally, but, um, like he was an act you know he's he's shown up in, in movies as yeah. an actor i believe yep. uh he was in casino In casino yeah yeah he plays the like the the local redneck guy like de niro yeah. fires or something
1: yeah. Yeah. <laughs> i think uh you know brothers or cousins with the sheriff and yeah know, yeah and he that keeps that on after. getting rehired and de niro
0: can't stand him or something it's like a cool little subplot of yeah many subplots in that movie Um, But it looks like the the movie's gotten a lot of press. I mean, when was it released? Like initial release
1: for it? Initially released, we did 20... I want to say it was October 2019 Okay, is when we started with it. That's when it was completed. But it had a really good life on the festival circuit. Um, And it screened all over the world, which I'm really proud of. Um, Couldn't be at all those festivals and screenings, but... Um, it, it, it just had a great run. I think, uh, what people could connect with is the fact that again, it was really just a, it takes you on a ride, you know, you you don't really know where it's going, but you, but you're willing to go on that ride and the music really carries it. We had a, a great score, all original uh, music that was composed by local bands, a shout out to danger hole. My, my buddies over there, my, my great friends, Kent, Matt, and, uh, Mike. And then we had, uh, other bands contribute, uh, from station, who is an incredible current band with a very retro sound. Uh, they're a New York city band, uh, Chris Lane, Patrick Kearney. And, um, and those guys, uh, I actually ended up shooting a music video for them, in which amanda plays a werewolf it's uh called more than the moon so uh you should check that out that's on youtube and uh that's that's really fun um but uh what else did we do uh we had a band from the bronx called babe patrol and then our our uh, writer and co-producer chris lavinia his band grandpa with uh, their incredibly titled song joe Spinell lives
0: <laughs> so. yes dude i fucking love joe Spinell, man <laughs> oh my god one of the best character actors of all time we've talked festivals film festivals a few times on this episode and you've played horror film festivals i don't know have you brought the film to like outside the genre film festivals or are you just strictly yeah okay no, so i wanted to ask you and, if, and, um... and it's
1: not it's not something that we've tried to do mm-hmm. um it's something that kind of crept into my mind a few times, um, but I, I never tried it. And uh, I wonder how that would have gone if we had done that.
0: Yeah. Cause I, have you know, gone to film festivals and whatnot and like of just broad, you know, entries and whatnot. And you, s- you sit there, you watch this movie, you watch this movie and then like a horror movie comes on for me. And I remember just would I'd go like, Oh, that was awesome it's not going to win here, but that was awesome. Right, right. <laughs> and, cause like you just have to submit these kind of movies to where the fans are, to where the people, cause the horror community is so supportive
1: of each yeah. other. It's, it, it, it's you know, that I'm glad that you mentioned that Tyler, because that was another thing I wanted to mention about uh, Joe Bob's film festival is that, which by the way, they, they've announced they're doing a second festival uh, this July in Memphis So that's definitely worth checking out for people. Um, But it's, it's, it's a community, you know, it's a community where, and I think that was another thing that drew me to the horror genre is that the people who were into it were so accepting, Mm -hmm. you know, it's Joe Bob's whole family The you you call it the mutant family. And it really is because everybody is welcome. You know, from, from all walks of life, it doesn't matter what you look like or how you talk or, uh, Fangoria has a pretty cool new, uh, tagline, which is everyone screams the same language. Yeah. And, um, you know, I really like that. And, and I think that that applies to, uh, that to the horror world in general, you know, it's, it's an all accepting place because a lot of us, we all carry our own emotional baggage. We all have our own scars, um. I think that's actually one of the taglines in Sober Vivo. Every I was gonna say sounds like the opening of (laughs) yours, but um, you know, it's about acceptance in in the in the grand scheme of life, and being open to new people and new experiences, and hearing um, hearing all of our stories. And that's that's something I I I really uh, am passionate about.
0: Completely agree with you, man. So this is the part of the show where if you have anything coming up down the pipeline, I give my guests a chance to plug it. Or if you are under massive strict NDAs, I understand
1: how those work. You can just say I'm doing something, but I can't talk about it. Yeah. Well, I mean, that 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 is a good situation to be in. And I, I am yeah. happy to say that we are currently in that situation. Um, talking about a feature-length film, I can say that, um, that's more actually kid horror at this it's point. getting big right now,
0: that genre. Um,
1: yeah, yeah. So we're, we're really excited about that one. And of course, uh, still shopping around the Dead Air feature, which is currently available. Uh, the script is complete. I stand behind it 110%. I think it's uh, an incredibly strong, fun ride. Um, so if we have any listeners out there who want to take a peek at that and, uh, help us out, we're certainly happy to talk. All right.
0: Cool, man. Well, um, where could we maybe track you down on the internet if someone wanted to talk about that or something?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Thanks. Thanks for that. Uh, the easiest way is to probably find me on Instagram. So it's vh. Sully, which is actually VHS, plan VHS, <laughs> uh, <laughs> <Nice>. <laughs> and you can you can find me there. Um, I'm al- you can also like Badlands Productions on Facebook. Um, uh, and I also have uh an email which is msullivan29 at gmail.com. So any of those means, please feel free to reach out. We'd love to connect with people, whether it's on a project basis or or a personal basis. Definitely, dude.
0: Well, Matt, thank you for a good show today. This was
1: a lot of fun getting to know you and talking about your your process. Thanks, Tyler. It's a pleasure to be here, and I look forward to hopefully many more uh, interactions together and stories to tell. Definitely, man. Uh, And You guys, the listeners, know the routine about
0: leaving ratings and reviews. See you guys next week on The Basement.